Hi, I'm Greg Yulin with Reynolds & Reynolds, and this is Connected. Today, I'm really excited. I get to sit down and talk with Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News, and Kel Walker, who's the producer and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me today. Glad Thank to do you it. for having us. Yep, absolutely. So I wanted to start just real quick. You guys host a podcast daily, which is pretty impressive. Um, but uh, a little bit on your background. So Jamie, may, maybe you can go first. Um, you've been in the industry for a long time. You've been covering automotive for a long time. Uh, but maybe give a little little of your background. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm the old old hand in the sea here. Uh, I've been on the auto beat for about 25 years, a little more than that now, I guess. Uh, started my first auto show was Tokyo in '97. I was based in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, you had the Lexington Herald Leader, general interest newspaper. But of course, they have the Toyota plant nearby and they launched the Sienna minivan. And I covered that job one ceremony and then said, uh, invited me to come to Tokyo. And I said, I can't go to Tokyo. That's too expensive. But <laughs> my editor ended up finding the money to send me. It was a great learning experience, uh, especially because Toyota was just launching the Prius which is really the first, uh, along with Honda's uh, uh, Clarity, uh, with Honda's vehicle at the time, really the first uh, hybrid. And they really couched it as a stepping stone, you know, hybrid to electric vehicles to what ultimately fuel cells, which all kind of blew my mind. Um, and, you know, it was something for me to try to understand and explain to my readers. After that uh, stint in Kentucky, I went to Detroit. I was eight years at the Detroit Free Press uh, as a reporter and then as the auto editor and business editor. Then I went to Bloomberg for 10 years, and now I've been at uh, Automotive News for a little more than four years. Uh, came in as chief content officer. We had some turnover, and now I'm executive editor So it's uh, and uh, host of the Daily Drive podcast. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned Lexington. You went to Kentucky. Is that right? UK? I did. I started off in my hometown, Iowa City, Iowa, uh, at the University of Iowa, uh, but ended up getting my degree in finance from UK, uh, tried to learn the language of CFOs so I could translate it into English for newspaper readers. <laughs> so so uh, if, I'm, if I'm getting my timing right, you were there for a, a national championship, no? <laughs> I, I was indeed. Uh, one, one for Tubby and I think also maybe one for, uh, for Rick. Yep. No, it's uh, fun stuff. Not, I mean, not not necessarily the year this year to talk about UK basketball, but uh, that's all right. It, uh, I'm sure it's brings back fun memories. Yeah. <laughs> Good, uh, Kel. How about you? What uh, what's your background? I was, I was looking at least and doing a little research before we sat down and talked. It looks like you've done everything in in production out there. I mean, from broadcast to radio to podcast. So um, yeah, a little little on your background would be great too. Yeah. So. Um it's funny. Jamie and I are kind of the odd couple that I feel like uh, the automotive <laughs> podcasting space needed. Uh, so my background originally is uh, from radio. So I ran a top 40 radio station for about 13 and a half years in Seattle, now located in Las Vegas. Um, always been a lifelong uh, car enthusiast. Um, cars have always an automotive this. Just the automotive space has just always been a part of my life since I was a kid. Everything from my grandfather to my cousins building cars to then myself working in a shop uh, in my teenage years. Um, but then after that stint of I worked at Firestone actually for a while uh, back in the day, uh, I got into radio and uh from then on, just got into broadcasting. I had this other passion and love for music. Um, and then after I uh, got out of the radio business, uh, I put my two passions together of production and and 
and I guess sound uh, along with automotive space and cars. And so it's kind of become this uh, this match made out of in heaven. The, the two things that I love the most: um, audio, sound production, and the automotive space. So, in 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 a short term, that that's my background. But um, yeah, it's lifelong uh, car enthusiast and a production buff. Love it, love it. So let's let's talk a little bit. Maybe we can start at least with the Daily Drive podcast. So it's it's evolved over time, right? It was Weekend Drive going back a handful of years, and then it was really kind of that that COVID timeframe, that March 2020 timeframe, when I believe you guys sort of flipped to daily as well, and have have done a really good job keeping up that cadence. So maybe a little background on the history of the podcast, and um, you know, kind of where it's at today. Uh, you're exactly right. It uh, you know was a video interview show, uh, the weekend drive, and it would be video, and there would be between executives that would come to Detroit, or you know Jason Stein, our former publisher, would be traveling around the world. He'd grab an interview with somebody, and it'd be a chance for you know viewers, uh, listeners, just anyone who is curious, you know, to get a little deeper conversation with a newsmaker uh, who wasn't necessarily in the news that week, you know, but just a good a good interview. And then when COVID hit, right, we couldn't have guests, we couldn't travel. Um, but Jason started picking up the phone and just talking to people on the phone. And some of those early interviews, especially with, you know, Jim Farley and Jose Munoz talking, you know, at pretty extensive length about their thinking process and how they were uh, how they were coping. But after, you know, a year or so of the pandemic, like, People, people started filling up their time in other ways, and it became harder to get a really meaty daily interview. And then Jason left, and it was just sort of, it was time to reboot. So we kind of, we did a little research, and we thought about our own usage, and, you know, of folks within the team. And we said, okay, we really should do some... People need, you know, headlines. It's good to, if we're going to do it daily, let's keep the daily news flow in it. Um, but people like the interview aspect. Let's try to keep the length a little more manageable. It's hard to expect anyone to listen to 30 or 60 minutes of interview every day. So, um, and we put out a, a call for talent, um, thinking maybe I could find someone uh, who could, you know, produce the show, make me sound better, make us sound better. <laughs> um, we got uh, Kel and also uh, Jake Neer, who a lot of folks in Detroit will know from his uh, Detroit public radio time. And we're like, let's hire them both. Because they're both super talented, very complimentary skills. We're in a growth mode. Uh, so I was like, you know, Kel doesn't, is, is, can be more than an editor, right? He could be, because he brings automotive knowledge I don't have, like he could be a co-host, like, let's do it that way. And that, that'll make it a better show. It'll be more interesting, gives us more backup and actually having a three person team. You know, if I'm on vacation, Jake and Kel can read the heads. If Kel's on vacation, you know, Jake can sit in or I can read all the headlines and Jake does, and Jake does the editing. And we really cover for each other and work as a team. And it's allowed us to provide a much better product, double our audience and uh, try to take on some new projects. 
Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I will say, um, I was I was really nervous uh, going back. I think it was a little over a year ago. Um, would have been December of 21. I think you took a little hiatus, right? When you were doing that mm-hmm. evaluation, you guys sent out a survey. You you, you were going to take you know a month off and evaluate, and then and I got real nervous because I I really like the format, right? I really like the podcast and and the, the medium in general. Um, I actually reached out and I was like, I, I'll I'll guest host for like a month, like, just to <laughs> fill this gap. Keep keep it going. Don't cancel it, you know. And yeah, and um, no, that wasn't needed. But uh, I don't know. It's great to see you guys turn it around. And then, yeah, obviously, right after that, Kel came on board. So um, I don't know, from your perspective, Kel, too, what what has the, uh, um, I guess, this uh, audience that you have now, how, how does it differ? You know, what what is it like for you? Um, and how have you seen things change over the last 12 months or so? It, it's actually, Greg, been a great transition because it's a little step outside of my comfort zone because, you know, it's it's journal, it's journalism focus and it's it's news oriented and I come from this background of music and top 40 so I I love the challenge and I love to I love the fact that I was able to take my skill set and it fit right into the peg for this type of format in this type of space so it's good and one thing I do love about the audience though is that the automotive audience is an audience that knows exactly what they want yeah. Right. And so since they know what they want and, you know, an automotive news and crane is 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 such a, a figurehead and a pillar um, in the automotive B2B space. We know exactly what it is to give them. So it's actually been a really good transition and it's actually been more moreover a quite natural transition. So um, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Um, I've been able to see and go places and experience things that I wasn't able to do uh, back when I was, you know, scheduling music. You know, I was used to going to concerts and shows and now I'm going to these really big auto shows and get to travel and meet all these really, really cool and really, really interesting people that are very, very passionate about the space. And that's the other thing that makes it so attractive is just people in the automotive industry are so passionate about the business. And that's and I love that. So it's been great. Yeah. And I would add to, you know, beyond being passionate, I mean, there's a lot of knowledge out there and a lot of different viewpoints, but this is an industry that I think really does a good job sharing and collaborating and, and trying to learn together. And that's something where, uh, when I look at what automotive news does and and what a lot of, um, podcasts do and a lot of other, even media publications do, it's, it's trying to create an environment where people can learn, right. Where people can share and we can all grow and sort of get better together. Um, so I'm curious if there was any, and I want to, I'm trying to frame this a question. I'm doing a pretty poor job of it. But um, if, there, if there's any thought that was put into, you know, the format of the podcast um, to facilitate learning, I guess, you know, you think about the way you guys have it set up, you have your headlines for the day. But then on the backside, you usually have some sort of interview or dialogue with, between the two of you. Um, and in a lot of ways, people, people will dial in or, or listen to something like a podcast to, to learn, right, to pick up something beyond just a headline. So I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, or if there's any thought put into can that. I, can I take this one, Jamie? Can I take this one? You, you start and, and I'll, I'll yeah. bring it home. I, I think that that is all based off of our interviews. And we're very particular about who we air and who we interview. And I give kudos to Jake Near for that. Because I, what I've noticed since I've been on is that all of our interviews, you're going to there's something you're going to take away from it. 
you're going to get something out of it. And that's the key to a successful podcast. So I would give kudos to Jake for that because Jake knows how to pick and choose like, eh, maybe we talk to this cat next week. If this new story goes this way, then maybe we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that cat. But today let's do this instead. And so like, I think Jake managing that and him coming from a background of public radio also of knowing listenership and what people want to listen to and what people want to get and information they want to get out of the interview. I think Jake has been really, really good when it comes to that. So that's, that's my take. I think yeah, the interview is important. I think also just it's, it's a confluence, right. Of news and journalism with, you know, your own continuing education. Uh, I've, I'll, you know, I, I feel like everybody in the industry, especially if they have any ambition, if they want to move up uh, within their job, within their company, if they're, a, you know, a department head at a dealership and they want to be a principal, you've got to arm yourself with knowledge and information. And it can't just be the information that comes from, you know, the, the manufacturer or from vendors. Uh, you know, you want a, a third party to funnel that to keep you up to date. Uh, I can go into my whole my whole sales pitch. Uh, it's not my job to sell <laughs> circulate sell subscriptions, but I believe I believe really strongly in it. It's a it's a great value, especially for people who are trying to build their career. Yeah, well, and we all learn from experience, right? You go and do something, you learn from that experience. Either it worked or it didn't, and then you duplicate it or you stop doing it or you change it. Um, but why not be able to learn from somebody else's experience too, right? And say, you know, uh, hey, this worked for me, this didn't work for me, and and maybe you still try it if it didn't work for somebody else, but at least you have a new idea. Right. Yeah. At least you have something else right. to go and try. So um, we don't have the to other, all come up with different things on our own. The other thing I would add, you know, so being at Crane Communications, being at Automotive News, it's not the same as being at Bloomberg or at the Free Press. Um, B2B communications, B2B news, you're, you're rarely going to teach an engineer about engineering. But what you can do, especially within a really complicated industry like the auto industry, is help make sure that the marketing folks understand, you know, what is happening with engineering and with digital retail. Make sure that the design people know what's going on with manufacturing and, you know, making sure that you have a, a fuller awareness of the rest of the ecosystem. Right. I'm not going to we're not going to. Like I said, we're not going to teach the designers what cool design is. They know so much more <laughs> than I'm ever going to know or than my whole team's going to know. But we can tell them what everybody else is working on so they can see how their role and their life and their work fits in the greater whole. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we talk about that all the time when we bring new hires on here even is like you got you have a lot to learn, right? Yes, you have a lot to learn about our company and our products and all that stuff. But more importantly, you have a lot to learn about our industry, our customers and their problems. And, and there, it takes a long time to figure that stuff out. It's not it to your point, it is a very complex industry. Um, when you think about the different layers, and e even just at the retail layer, but then you factor in all the other pieces to the puzzle in the ecosystem, it's a lot. It is mm -hmm. there's layer after layer after layer. Um, Even within retail, uh, it's just yeah. amazing and amazingly complex. And you think about the changes in powertrains now, the changes in the way marketing is done. I mean, just so much. Uh, it's a, such a big industry and it's going through a lot of change and you need information that you can trust uh, to keep up. 
Yep, absolutely. So you guys have, the two of you specifically, but I guess the entire automotive news team, you have a, a pretty uh, wide perspective on the industry, I'd say. You, you get to look at it from a lot of different angles, right? Retailers, manufacturers, um, you look at the finance portion of the business, uh, all the different pieces, M&A, there, there's just a, a ton going on out there. Um, so with that perspective, because a lot of us don't necessarily get that that broad perspective from all the different angles, um, Give me maybe one thing each that that you see in the next. I don't know. Just say the future, whether it's probably probably near term at some point, year or so. Um, you see with the potential to have an outsized impact on maybe one from a manufacturer's perspective and one from a retailer's perspective. Anything sitting out there that we could dive into a little bit? I mean, as far as big developments in the next year, I think we have to. Look at on the manufacturer side, we have to look at the labor situation in North America. Uh, the UAW and the Canadian Union Unifor are both heading into negotiations with the three Detroit, the whatever we, the Detroit three or whatever you want to call them, GM Ford and, yeah. and Stellantis North America. Um, the I I'm I would bet there is going to be at least one strike. Uh, the uh, you know workers feel like uh, there's there's a big push for unionism these days workers feel like they're getting they've missed out you know they missed the inflation's been really high and while they've gotten good profit sharing checks you know the companies have made the manufacturers have made record profits or near record profits at least on an operating basis and you know the workers are going to want some security they're going to want all the usual investments but they're they're hot and they've also had you know a lot of turnover in the leadership so how things can get resolved um i think that's that's going to be the challenge like we know there's going to be a desire to act out and to push back um, but how you can then bring people back to the table and come to a deal that can be voted on and approved that's going to be a real challenge especially if there's a whole new leadership team um, which of course trickles down to everybody else in the yeah. industry if yeah. there's a big strike at gm or right. ford uh, that hits the suppliers it hits the dealers changes the con competitive dynamic in the marketplace um on the retailer side i think you know there's a lot going on the big question for me is just the um how much interest rates eat into demand i feel i i felt like there was a lot of pent-up demand i think there are a lot of people who put off buying vehicles but of course prices are high and with interest rates getting higher the monthly payments are getting higher which is how a lot of people make their decisions and you know i don't know it's it's just going to be a lot of pressure uh and it's going to be a, a challenge to keep making making good profits for dealers as well yeah no, that's fair kelly you got anything to add on that Right. I, I would say um, from a retailer standpoint, I feel that, I mean, if we, if we have the inventory, I mean, because we, we all we've all seen how inventories kind of been fluctuating, that I feel like manufacturers are going to have to or dealers are going to have to adopt the direct to consumer model. Um, I don't I don't I don't think they're going to do it immediately, but I think in due time um, with you seeing how Tesla selling cars and they have mastered that model that i think to to compete i think that they're going to have to adapt the, adopt that model now myself as a tesla owner um i say this because it was a very very seamless and very very painless um time when i bought my car um i did it all on my phone i did it all from an app 
And it was very, very easy. I didn't have to sit in an F&I office or sit in a dealership for three, four or five hours. Um, so I think when the major, when the, when the, the traditional manufacturers or companies, I guess, become more keen to this, um, that I think they're going to have to, at some point, adopt that model. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I think there's definitely potential there. I agree with you. Um, I would, I would layer in though, that, that the dealer body, uh, will continue, I I think, and and needs to continue to evolve and find ways to, to add value to every transaction. Right. So add value for both the manufacturer and add value for the consumer. Um, because yeah, any, any place that you're taking value away, um, you're causing friction, um, not, not intentionally, right. It's just the way that the processes work. Um, that's, those are the things that, that, uh, consumers are going to want to eventually migrate away from. So, um, I would, I would almost add in there, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a manufacturer direct to consumer, but I would layer in, you know, for the dealership, find ways to add value in that process, right? Find ways to make it seamless, find ways to make it easy and find ways to, um, you know, make that consumer feel like they're getting the perfect experience. Um, you know, some of that's enabled by technology. Some of it is, um, uh, people, right. Traditionally dealerships have added a lot of value through people and that interaction with, uh, with the consumer. So, um, it, it will be really interesting to see you're right though. You know, when you look at Tesla and that growth, um, certainly manufacturers are recognizing that, man, they, they got something here. So how do we, how do we take advantage of it? And, and to me, I think the, the dealer, um, can and will continue to find new ways to add value. And I think of it as like, there's this idea of the adjacent possible, right? It's not like, mm-hmm. what's the next thing that's way out there? It's what can we tweak or what can we add in um, today? And, and over time, over the next 10 years, it'll look completely different. But today, what's that first step that we can take to do something different? Um, I think of uh, just these these other areas of the dealership. You think of like finance and insurance, right? And that, um, that process, dealers really created that, right? It was how can we connect uh, first? It was how can we connect the consumer with the lender? or because a lot of consumers didn't know what to do. Even today, um, a lot of people don't know how to get a loan for a car. They just, they don't. So they rely on the dealer to do that. The dealer can help them do that. Um, And they're providing value there. So that's a simple example and not a futuristic example, but um, continuing to find those ways, I think will be fun to watch in our industry and fun to watch the dealer body continue to learn and grow. And and all of us kind of play a role in that, I think. Well, it's it's interesting you say that, Greg, because when I put my consumer hat on, Mm-hmm. Um, I think of like my generation. So I'm 35 years old, right? 36 years old. Uh, and I'm in that generation of young tech friendly, that really, really big share of wallet. Right. And when I think of like my generation, we, we're the generation of folks that are the instant gratification generation. So everything is coming quick. Everything's done on apps. My food can be delivered. A car can come pick me up. And when I just, when I, when you say like, you know, tweaking the experience, I understand that. But even if the experience is good, I don't want to sit somewhere for four hours. That's when I put my consumer hat on. As a consumer, it's like, I want to be able to get it, sign what I need to sign and go. So I feel like tweaks do need to happen, but there's just something that when it comes to just the efficiency that something just needs to pick up. And that's when I put my consumer hat on. And I think like a consumer because we report on this stuff, but at the same time, we're still consumers. So that that's, 
that's kind of my logic when I when I say that, you know, you know, dealers are going to have to maybe, you know, um, you know, adjust to that direct consumer model. That makes sense. One hundred percent. And I think the more that you can you can interact with the the dealership on the phone, right? Or you know, I mean, not on the phone talking to them, but on on your phone ordering something. Um, right. The more you can sign your paperwork. Uh, you know, there's right. you know how you know how much paper. So if you print out a car deal, average car deal in the United States, you know how long it is. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 39 feet of paper, yeah. a single copy, 39 <laughs> feet of paper, you know, that's signatures and, and right. initials and everything else on every single page. And uh, you got a buyer and a co-buyer and a, and, you know, a dealership representative, there's all this stuff that goes into it. Um, so making those things easy, because to your point, going into an F and I office and sitting down and having a, a stack of paper, we call it thumpability, right? Is it, is it thick <laughs> enough to thump when you set it down on the table? Uh, <laughs> right. You got a stack of paper that's got some thumpability to it and, and that's intimidating. It takes a long time, right? I got stuff to do. I got to go pick up my kids, take them to soccer, do whatever. Um, so uh, that time consumption is, is a problem. So if we can make that easy and the dealership can, can be involved and and connecting, still connecting that consumer to that lender or that consumer to that um, uh, uh, insurance provider, um, but then do all the work on the back end where they're adding value and you as the consumer can have the experience that you expect, um, the manufacturer, the lender, everybody else can get what they need and have it in an efficient way. And that dealership is the one facilitating that great experience. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a value gap there that that the dealer body can really um, exploits the wrong word, but it capitalize on. You know, and, right. and fulfill that need. Right. You're not so. saying because Kelly, you're not saying that it has to be. It should be there that it needs to be the automaker selling directly to the customer. It's that the customer just needs an experience that is efficient and painless. That's it. Yeah. That's it. When I when I sat and people asked me what was the process like to buy my Tesla, and yeah. I told them, their jaws were on the floor. They were like, "What? <laughs> you sat in your bed and did what? They delivered your car to they just delivered to your to your house and took your old car." I'm like, "Yeah, it was it was the most painless experience of mine that I've car shopping experience I've ever had in my life." So, um, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not saying that you know they they have to, but like. I would say, yeah, dealers got to just find, like you guys said, just little ways to just speed up and help that process and make that process not so painful and just not so long. Because, I mean, we've all we've all done it. We've all sat in the, in the car in the <laughs> F&I office for two. I think the fastest car, guys, I've ever bought was my Jeep. And that was like maybe two and a half hours. And I was like, wow, that was fast <laughs> compared to all of my <laughs> other experiences buying a car in a dealership. So. So with your with your experience, I, I'm curious, um, Kel, on on buying a Tesla. So did you just two questions? I guess first of all, you said they picked up your car, so um, you did do a trade in on the deal, right? Okay, and then did you finance it or did you pay cash or have I paid, you know, ca- I paid, ca- I paid okay. cash? So yeah, so so my situation was a little different. I know when you do finance, you have to go to like their Tesla location, and yep. there's like a location where they kind of like hold everything and you fill out some stuff and then you can take your car. But since I bought mine cash, mm-hmm. they just pulled it up to my house, took my, my Audi, put my Audi on the back of the truck, my trade took it. And I had my, my, my key cards and everything. And I was like, here you go, Mr. Walker, you are the brand new owner of a Tesla model three. That's awesome. No, I mean, it is, um, it's pretty cool. What's, what's possible. And I think, um, you know, regardless of manufacturer and, and dealer, I, th- I think some of that technology is out there and, um, yeah. 
when it's right for that that dealership or that manufacturer, um, that market, then I think everybody should should have the opportunity to do that. It is um, it's pretty cool. What's what's possible? Did did you drive it before you bought it? I've I had I have friends that have them, so I've driven one before. Yeah. Um, but it did take me a minute to get used to the regenerative braking. And and Jamie was it was funny. Jamie was like, it was going to take you exactly fifteen minutes to figure it out, and that's exactly what it took was fifteen minutes, and I figured it out. Um, but it, it's 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 been a good experience so far. Like you know, I've been always a big German car buff, so like I've always like outside of my Jeep, I've always like Audis and Benzes and BMWs and things like that. Um, but you know, the, the, the Tezzy so far has, has been good to me. I, I can't complain. We had a, a gas issue here in, in Las Vegas where uh, a pipeline had gotten damaged. So there was no gasoline getting pumped into Clark County. And uh, our governor was in a, We were in a state of emergency for like a day and a half because there was no gas. And there's these long gas lines. And I'm like, great. I can just go plug my car in at home. So, you I mean, it's, it's, li- it's little wins like that that make it worth it. So there you go. That's good. So thinking about um, EVs and Tesla and this this kind of evolution, you know, pretty much every manufacturer has at a minimum um, launched an EV model at a maximum set a date on when they're going to be all electric. Um, and we're seeing some manufacturers toy with different ideas around uh, different sales models for EVs, um, even going so far as to potentially have different uh, kind of quote unquote companies for EVs where they don't have a uh, technically have a dealer body there. We can kind of read, you know, read between the lines on what that means for the future. But um, Jamie, maybe you can take this one. I'm, I'm curious your perspective on, you know, when we think about this and we think about the impact on especially retailing going forward, where do, where do these chips end up falling? And how do you see, I'll say the industry as a whole working together um, to land in a place that that is the most positive for everybody involved? With the transition to electrification, primarily, yeah, are you think, thinking about yeah? Um, so with with EVs, and then also really that that manufacturer retailer relationship, mm-hmm. um, and and what that looks like. You know, you look at a uh, GM's an example, right? So GM uh, with their EV models, they're requiring an online. Uh, retailing platform that dealers use or that, that consumers use um, to to sell that vehicle, and mm-hmm. that's that's how it has to be sold through there. So regardless of you know what even DMS a GM store is using, they have to use a second tool, which we've seen this story play out a lot in history. Right? It doesn't doesn't ever work. It doesn't ever end up um, in a positive light uh, historically. But uh, I, I don't know. This one. <sighs> feels like it's a little different. I don't know. It feels a little, it could be a little bit of a fulcrum in the long run. I would imagine we'll end up going back to, or we'll end up with a system more like what we've had with on-site, you know, dealership stocking vehicles on site, at least a a good number of them, maybe not as many, hopefully not as many as in the past. Um, But I don't really see myself. It's hard to see a lot of efficiency gains from the, central stocking, except when you're in such an inventory scarce position, right? Uh, But in the end, I mean, we think about what are the what are the advantages to the franchise system and their manufacturers aren't going to get rid of that in the United States anytime soon. The one of the advantages is you produce at the most efficient rate you can. And because you have a ready buyer, your vehicle is going to be sold as soon as it rolls out of your factory and onto the truck. It's signed off to them. It's on their books. You're booking the revenue. 
there's value to that. You know, I know there's efficiencies in the in the direct model, and I think was it Jim Farley suggested maybe two thousand dollars worth of efficiencies that could that Tesla has in the retail process. There's also efficiency in the manufacturing to retail handoff in normal times. We we aren't in normal times right now, and so there's a lot of change that's happening in such a a dynamic moment that it's a little bit hard to tell. And maybe it is a fulcrum. Maybe it'll be the ultimate change and they'll keep, you know, GM and Hyundai and Toyota and Ford will all keep uh, a handful of of central stocking points like giant, you know, car Walmarts some, you know, around the country and and shoot them out overnight with I don't know, autonomous trucks or something. But that seems a long ways away and it doesn't really seem more efficient than taking the trucks, you know, from the factory to the mixing yard to the dealership. Maybe you can eliminate some of the mixing yard stuff with some better AI logistics and all that. Dealership lots are not a bad place to store vehicles. No, in my not. in my analysis. No, I would agree. And and another layer to this that I I don't hear talked about a lot is you know pretty much every manufacturer has a captive lender, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a large portion of dealers use their captive lender to finance the inventory that's sitting on their lot. Right. So they're doing floor plan through Ford Motor Credit or, you know, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you follow the money and especially when when there is interest like there is now, um, you got to you got to imagine that as the the parent company, the the manufacturer who has a captive lender that is making money. So so to your point, you get the inventory off your books and it goes to the dealership lot and then it sits there for 30 days. And then when it sells, you get paid interest on the loan that you gave the dealership to to have that inventory sitting on their lot. So uh, there is extra money there, too, that I, I think can be overlooked a little bit and yeah. doesn't necessarily yeah. some of the about. inefficiency is actually money that you make through a note through your captive right right so i i just when, when you look at it kind of really big picture I, I just i think there's too many benefits across the board in the model that we have today um i mean there, there's you know a lot of talk and a lot of pressure and and our dealers getting squeezed out and I just, I really struggle to see a world. Yes, we yes we have to get better, right? And yes, it has to be more efficient. And to Kel's point, we need to be more consumer friendly. Um, and that's something that, that I think will go on forever, right? We always continue to, to get better and find new ways. Um, but how can we do it in, in a way that, that, again, makes it positive for everybody? And nobody's, nobody's taking a, a punch to the gut. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. There, there's just so many layers. It's, it's a lot of it's, fun to kind of think through yeah. and talk about. Yeah, very complex uh, system, but I think about all the entrepreneurial talent at the dealerships around around the country. Uh, that could that can be a real advantage for a brand. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Okay, well, hey, it's it's been fun. We kind of could bounce all over the place a little bit, but I wanted to uh, shift gears back real quick to um, to what you guys are working on. Uh, what what might be new coming this year at Automotive News? Uh, you know, obviously the brand and the company has evolved uh, quite a bit. I would say even in the last couple of years, uh, with a lot of new offerings and a lot of digital offerings, um, and and it seems that you've you've shifted quite a bit and come a long way from uh, you know the big paper magazine that comes out once a week <laughs> to uh, all of the different mediums that you're using now. So, so maybe talk a little bit about what's around the corner uh, with Automotive News. 
Yeah, well, um, we, you know, we still do the printed paper and uh, I was amazed, especially, you know, last month at NADA going around how many people told me they still love to read it in, have it in their hands. People who would come by the booth to grab the show dailies that we print daily during the NADA show. Uh, So that's still a, a remarkably strong business. I mean, compared to our peers, it's a, it's like, we're doing great. But yep. of course, we know, I mean, there's a generational shift going on. Uh, the folks who are much younger than me, or you, know, you get to, you know, Kel's age, or a lot of like legitimate adults who don't buy their news in, you know, ink printed on paper. They get it on their phones, they get it on their laptops, they get it on their desktops, they're on Instagram, you know, people are on social media. Uh, so we've really, we've built up our social media presence in a big way. Um, we're retooling the way we, manage our autonews.com. I mean, which has already been a, a really good site. I mean, you think about the fact that we have Bloomberg and Reuters wire services, as well as, you know, my giant army of reporters and editors all around the world. It's, it's an incredible value and a lot of stuff there. The thing is, it's a lot to read. It's, it's more than yeah. most anybody can read. Um, so it's finding then the, the the niches and the targets and making sure that you know the the fixed ops audience knows that we have material for them and that the the used car manager knows that we have stuff for them to read that that they wouldn't otherwise get. So we use the the newsletter strategy to really focus in on the the key targets and you know what when people really want to go deep on one subject. Uh, they want to make sure they don't miss anything in the mobility space or in the used car space. We've got a newsletter for them. Uh, of course, like I said, you know, Instagram, Facebook, we're doing a lot more with LinkedIn lives uh, where we'll do, you know, live video with an interview and take questions from the audience. And, and we've had a lot of really good response to that. We have a huge LinkedIn community that we try to serve with that. Um, and of course, the podcast, you know, it's a we already had a podcast, but it's with the new format, you know, headlines and an interview, the whole thing, less than 20 minutes. Um, it's become a real habit for a lot of people. And then we've really we more than doubled our audience last year. And then this year, we're looking to do obviously a lot of great journalism projects throughout automotive news, the whole the whole group. But in particular, we're working on a project on carbon neutrality. Um, and all the efforts that um, that automakers, suppliers, even some retailers, you know, are making uh, the commitments they're making to try to reduce their carbon output, get to a net zero, try to slow or stop global warming. You know, what is the responsibility of the industry? What is being done? How do we know that it's working? Right. How do we audit those things? And we're doing that as a print project or, you know, as a sort of a traditional project. But then we're going to take it another level in this fall or late summer, early fall. uh, We're planning to run a a limited series of podcasts, uh, really digging in on those issues, try to bring the voices of the industry leaders and scientists uh, into and policymakers into a, you know, long story form. That's something, you know, we've done a few you know, podcast series, you know, series that are def- different from our our ongoing news series. Uh, we've done a few things before in the past, but this is going to be a, a next level effort for us, and we're really looking forward to it. I like that. So, are yes, the two of Gre- you? Or, go ahead, Kel. Oh yes, Greg. Be on the way for some very, very, very good storytelling. <laughs> um, the the long form podcasts. 
I think is going to be an amazing project. It's I'm not going to say it's going to be over the top, but it's going to be done very, very well. So I should people should definitely keep their ears out for that because it's going to be a really, really cool project. Nice. So are the two of you going to be uh, involved? Or I guess the three you mentioned, Jake, too. Uh, so will you guys all be kind of running that? Yes. Yeah. So. Go Jake's ahead, Jake. taking it. Jake's, Jake's, it was kind of Jake's initiation uh, of the idea, so he'll have a big role in that. But uh, we'll all be we'll all be cracking on it. It'll definitely be a three headed monster project <laughs> for sure. So it's it's going to be great. I'm excited for it. Good. Congrats. So have you started recording and stuff, or is it still ideation? Um, you know, are you going kind of big production where it's going to take a long time to get the content and then edit it down, or um, yeah, recording yeah, I, first and yeah. then uh, and then the actual interviews. And then a lot of uh, editing and production. Great. Well, congrats. That'll be fun. That'll be a fun project for sure. Um, well, what else, guys? What haven't we talked about that we should? Anything you want to touch on uh, before we jump out of here? You know, the other thing I would say, sort of, you know, big picture, and I guess to the extent, you know, your listeners, if they are regular readers of automotive news or have been or are occasional readers, you know, um, we kind of reorganized the newsroom last year around uh you know some sort of major themes the you know i call it making thinking and selling or making selling and thinking you know you got the automaker reporters and editors we've got our our retail team and i'm like i just got to say like our retail team is is awesome we have i have more journalists covering auto retail at auto news than i had covering the entire industry you know at the free press or at bloomberg um, I think we have a bigger retail team than the Detroit News and Detroit Free Press combined have covering the whole auto industry. So it's yeah. like we really serve that community, that part of our community. It's a it's very important. Um, and then the thinking is, you know, I call it thinking, but it's, you know, the ideation, the tech and innovation space. And, you know, there have been a lot of people in that Silicon Valley world, Austin, Texas kind of world that maybe wanted to be identified as tech and not as automotive. Um, maybe they want automotive for the revenue, but they want investors to look at them as tech where all of their fantasies are assumed to be true and, <laughs> uh, and, and almost guaranteed. And so, um, you know, that's been a challenging area for us, but uh, we're really digging in. We, we beefed up our team, uh, giving a lot more coverage to that space, which is important both for, you know, if you, to cover them and show them that, you know, hey, we pay attention to you and you should learn about the rest of the auto industry, but to make sure that the rest of the auto industry is really up to speed on, you know, who are these players, who's coming into this space and what's what are they after, what's their strategy. Uh, so that's something, you know, we're really, we see as an area of growth. And in terms of our audience, again, I, I hate to, I don't mean to keep going on and on, but I do think yeah. there's a lot of opportunity for us in the retail space to sell a lot more subscriptions where, you know, traditionally we sell a subscription to the dealer principal and he reads it and passes it around and, and maybe it goes to the, some of the other leaders. Um, to my thinking, you know, every department head at an, at a, any decent dealership ought to be subscribing to automotive news and building their career that way. I think, you know, as we get to where more people are getting digital subscriptions rather than the print ones, um, you know, we should be getting three, four, five, six subscriptions per store. And that would, that'd be my dream. <laughs> 
No, it's good. It's good. Yeah. And the, the digital access to, to your point, it gives you um, visibility to uh, whatever niche you want to, you want to have visibility to, right? You can have a, a full spectrum of, of uh, content that you have available, available to you, or um, you could double down on, on certain areas and select which newsletters you want to get and select which content mm-hmm. you want to have access to. So um, you can, you can really tailor uh, the, your experience to, to what your needs are. Yeah, we really try to build out, and I'm sorry, I, I forgot to uh, brag up about our video <laughs> team, uh, which we've also been uh, rebuilding. Uh, but, you know, it's like we're trying to try to bring the stories in all the ways that people want to consume them and try to make it easy for them to to stay up to speed. That's great. That's great. All right, Kel, anything else from you? Anything you want to hit on before we get out of here? Um, no, I just, just agree with Jamie. It's, you know, we've put together this huge team of people we have a ton ton of new hires that are hungry and that uh want to do a great job and like jamie said is that we're we're hitting every single part of the business in the industry and so you know if you're in the automotive space you work at a dealership or manufacturer there's just something in there for everybody uh, to consume at the same time it's not over consuming so it's 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 a great we have a good balance so Perfect. Well, on that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap. I really appreciate uh, both of your time today. It was a fun conversation. We went kind of all over the place, but uh, those are usually the best ones. So I appreciate you uh, going, down those, <laughs> going down those paths. But uh, Jamie Butters and Kel Walker, thank you very much. And uh, look forward to talking again soon. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thanks, Greg. All right. All right. We'll see you. Well, that was a fun conversation with Jamie Butters and Kel Walker from Automotive News. Those two do such a great job with the Daily Drive podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. But before we hop off, don't forget you can watch or listen to every episode of Connected on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you're notified every other week when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks.